0: On this All Saints Sunday, I'd like to start in a rather unorthodox place. In the Devil's Dictionary, the great 19th century writer Ambrose Bierce penned this definition and explanation for saint. Saint, noun, a dead sinner, revised and edited. The Duchess of Orleans related that the irreverent old calum- calumniator, Marshal Villeroy, who in his ruth had known Saint Francis de Salle, said on hearing him called saint, I am delighted to hear that Monsieur de Salle is a saint. He was fond of saying indelicate things, and used to cheat at cards. In other respects he was a perfect gentleman, though a fool. DeSalle and the rest of the saints would be the first to agree that a saint is a dead sinner, revised and edited. Saints indeed are sinners. Luther even wrote as much in his lectures on Galatians. Thus a Christian is righteous and a sinner at the same time, holy and profane, an enemy of God and a child of God. All of God's people sin, even and perhaps especially the most extraordinary among them. And all of God's people are tempted to despair sometimes, to think that they are all alone in whatever God has called them to. Such was the case with Elijah. One thing I love about the Bible is that the characters are seldom all good or all bad. Elijah goes off the deep end at the end of the last chapter. After demonstrating once and for all that the Lord is God and not Baal, he takes it upon himself to execute the 450 prophets of Baal without divine command or sanction. And when Queen Jezebel hears about this, she sends a death threat. You wonder why she didn't just send someone to kill him instead of saying, I'm going to kill you, but whatever. That's what happens, and so he runs for his life. He goes far to the south to Beersheba. Then he leaves his servant behind and walks another day into the desert where he sits under a solitary, scraggly tree. It's a fitting metaphor for how he's feeling. He's angry, he's exhausted, he's despairing. Elijah has done everything he could to turn the hearts of the royal family and the people back to God, but has nothing to show for it. Indeed, his purge of Baal's prophets may have only hardened hearts. His mission seems to be a failure. You can imagine him yelling, God, I've had it, kill me now. So he has a nap and a couple snacks given to him by an angel. You know, there's this old internet meme That references this story, saying, Never underestimate the power of a nap and a snack. And that's true. But Elijah needs so much more than a nap and a snack. He travels 40 days and nights to Horeb, also known as Sinai, also known as the mountain where God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel and gave them in tablet form to Moses. Moses. That's an even longer journey. While not literally 40 days and 40 nights, the Hebrew idiom, whenever you see 40 in the Bible, that, that's usually an idiom that means it's a long time, a lengthy amount of time. It's about 250 miles, though, from, by foot, from Horeb to Beersheba. That's not an insignificant hike, and that on top of the 100 miles from Jezreel, Beersheba, which Elijah already went. That's pretty impressive. But Elijah does get to Horeb eventually, and God does something extraordinary when he gets there. God ele- asks Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here so far from where I called you? Why do you need to be here right now? God already knows why Elijah's there, but perhaps Elijah himself doesn't know why he's there. Elijah only knows what he's feeling. He's been extremely zealous for the Lord, he's poured his whole self into his mission. But he doesn't think there's anything to show for it. The people haven't turned back to God. God's altars remain in ruins. Jezebel wants him dead. He feels so small. So utterly alone. It's an extraordinary thing to say, I'm alone to the God of the universe and have God speak when God speaks to you. But it's, also, it's doubly extraordinary after God speaks for Elijah to say it twice. He feels that alone. Even after God speaks to him, he says, I'm alone. He's just witnessed God's power up close. This is the depth of pain Elijah has come to. And as it turns out, when Elijah is in the depths, the last thing he needs is another dramatic theophany, an appearance of God, an act of God like the one he saw on Mount Carmel. And God knows it. So we get something really interesting here. It's an anti theophany. It's uh, where God is not present in dramatic acts of nature. God does not show up in the wind, the fire, or the earthquake, phenomena where God had always been experienced since time immemorial. God is present for Elijah in the silence, in the aloneness, in the depths of despair. Not only is that the place where God meets Elijah, it is also the place where God most meaningfully meets humanity. God is most cert- is certainly present in glorious moments like the dedication of the temple we heard about last week. But the most profound place God meets us is in the stillness, in the darkness. And yes, even in our defeat and despair. There's a reason we confess that Jesus descended to the dead, or in the old version, he descended into hell. There's a reason that Paul says he only wants to know Christ crucified. Jesus goes to where there is no light, no joy, no love, and no life, to be present with humanity at its worst. At its lowest, at its weakest. Jesus didn't only suffer for us, Jesus also suffered with us. In these days, we may feel a bit like Elijah. You may feel that despair, that despair of things ever getting better. You may feel lost. You may feel unappreciated, hurt, or disconnected. You may not be able to see a way forward. And that's okay. The Lord has always met us in our depths. The Lord reminds us time and time again that we are never alone. And the Lord gives us all a purpose in the work of the gospel, even when we can't see it or understand it in a particular moment. That's exactly what God does for Elijah. Elijah is given a new job. Anoint two kings and a prophet to replace him. It's getting time for the mantle to be passed on, quite literally in Elijah's case. And Elijah is reminded that he is not alone. Not only is God with him, there are also 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. There are always faithful people out there. There are always people who can hear the word. Even Elijah's work hasn't been in vain. And neither is our work. I leave you with this. God has called us to proclaim and embody the gospel of healing, wholeness, and peace in Christ. We're called to embody the gospel of healing, wholeness, and peace in Christ. In other words, we're called to live out God's shalom. Even when we're exhausted and had enough, just had it, like Elijah, God still gives us purpose, purpose, And in God, we also find the rest that we so desperately need. We find God in the silence, in the the stillness, and we know that we are not alone. Let's pray. Lord God, when we feel lost, when we are in despair, you are there. You give us rest, healing, and renewed purpose for our lives. Renew our faith in you, especially during the times we can't have faith. Renew our hope in your promise of shalom for the world. And renew our love for each other so that we know that we are never alone. In the name of Christ, we pray.